Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. Are you ready for our new series, Construct? Listen, you can build a construct of God and people, but will you even be happy with what you build in the end? If you've lived life long enough, you'll probably say no. And is it real if it's not the real you? And is it real if it's not the real God? And is it real if it's not the real people? I love that, that you don't, I love that video clip that just ended and it said this, we don't see things the way they are, we see things the way we are. Huh. What if we could get some healing for that piece? What if we could get our minds and our hearts changed for that piece? We don't see things the way that, we don't see God the way that he is. Not really. We see, thing, we see him the way that we are. We don't see our spouses and our friendships and our kids and everything that's important to us, even our bosses, which should be important to us. We don't see them as they are. Often we see them as we are. And I love that. Man, I'm all preached out from Next Steps. Who's at Next Steps? Was that awesome? Yeah, we had a full house here. Um, so what we do at Next is we tell you like how to get involved in venue culture and what comes next and what you're responsible for in your Christian walk. And was that kind of fun to get to meet yeah. new people and to get a really behind-the-scenes look into venue culture? And there's three more of them, so you can come at 5 o'clock here in the foyer. We just do this. And so um, you can come at 5 o'clock for the next three weeks. And if you miss one of these, you can catch it again in the fall. We'll, we'll be running them maybe even every week, I think. Um, but I thought that it was absolutely amazing, and I'm glad that you showed up to it and supported that because that was fun. All right, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? What an interesting question because people were saying a lot of stuff about Jesus. People were talking a lot of trash about Jesus. And it's like he's going to his disciples who's hearing all of this trash talk. Some of it is good, but then some of it is just straight up trash about himself. And when somebody comes to you and says, so what are people saying about me? That's not a Canadian thing. But <laughs> that's kind of what's going on here. They replied, um, some think he is John the baptizer. Like he's right there. <laughs> some think uh, he, Jesus, is, and Jesus is right. This is not making any sense to you? Yeah. Some think he is John the baptizer. Some say Elijah. My sermon series construct is going to be preaching about the prophet Elijah three times in his life, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Some say Jeremiah. It goes on, or one of the other prophets. He pressed them. I love this about Jesus is that sometimes he makes things uncomfortable for us for our own good. Can I hear an amen? amen. He pressed them, and how about you? What, who do you say? that I am. Simon Peter actually got this one right. <laughs> Most of the time he's got his foot in his mouth and he only takes it out to get the other one in there. Um, but this one here, he says, Simon Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. I love it how he just jumps in. He's like, uh, everybody else is not really sure. The disciples needed that push of aggression and courage or like, and clarity. He says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus came back God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. Reading a book about how to have a good marriage is not the same thing as having a good marriage. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, left you, let you in on this secret 
of who I really am. What it's saying to us in the whole idea of constructs is that God is saying, you will only ever have in some forms a construct of me until revelation comes to you from outside of your own thinking, outside of yourself, outside of your own emotions and your own heart. You can only see who the real I am, who the, who the real me is, and I would go on to say who the real people are. You can only see this when revelation comes in from outside of you. God, he said, God gave you this revelation. You didn't come up with this all on your own, Peter. That's why I'm commending you in front of the disciples. This is better than the time he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is much better for Peter than that time. <laughs> this is a series about reality. It's the easiest thing in the world to build a construct of God and people that isn't real to get what we want. But will we even like what we build in the end? I... Um, it's tricky if you grew up in the church. Church kids are weird kids. <laughs> I was in, in Los Angeles. We lived there for a few years when I was a kid, and I had chicken pox. No, thank you. Oh, so much. Yeah, and I was a little kid, right? So I was probably, I don't know how old I was, maybe five or six. I was seven. And like I was saying, I was seven. And... Um, <laughs> And I had been reading in the picture Bible. Does anybody, did anybody grow up in church and have the picture Bible? I love that. I was reading in the picture Bible about not Elisha. I'm going to get Elisha and Elijah mixed up. I'm going to preach about Elijah, but Elisha was Elijah's protege. And about a miracle that happened with Naaman, that, uh, who was a, a funny thing that God wanted to heal for, of leprosy, this Naaman guy who was an enemy commander, who like fought against Israel. It's a weird little thing here, but God loves people. And even if you would consider yourself an enemy of God or far from God, he still loves you and still wants the best for you. That's just who he is. He just can't help himself. And so it's funny in this here that, that um, I was reading in the picture Bible this, this account, this story of what happened when Elisha told Naaman to go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. And he went out and did it and humbled himself and he did it and was healed of his leprosy. And I got all excited and I came over and I said, Mom, Mom put water in the bathtub, I'm going to be healed of chicken pox. <laughs> now, like 90% of the time, you should just not like squash a child's dreams, but just bring some reality, reality, and I get that. But my mom was one of those exceptional moms that I was talking about last week. Now, if, if you know somebody who's a mom who wants exceptional kids, they need to hear that sermon, they need to watch that online. That will change forever how they think about that. And um, my mom was an exceptional mom, and she felt the Holy Spirit say, no, don't get weirded out by that. The, the Holy Spirit is a person, just like you are. And so like it took you time to understand how to speak English and hear it when you were a kid, the Holy Spirit doesn't often just come in our faces and yell stuff audibly. But when I say something like God spoke to me, or I think the Holy Spirit has something for you this week, what I mean is that it's an impression that I have on the inside of what it is that he wants to do. Now, if you spend enough time, time over time over time with God, or time over time with people, I already know what my wife is thinking. She doesn't have to tell me. I already know what she's feeling. She doesn't have to tell me because we've been together for a long time, and it's like that with God. And he speaks to us through one long, massive email called the Bible, and so we get to know what he's like. And when he speaks to me, and he spoke to my mom in this moment, and she had the distinct impression, 
something like this. Shut up. I'm going to honor his faith. Don't squash this kid's faith right now. Put the water in the tub. And she did it. And I got in that tub and I dipped seven times. And then I was screaming excited because the chicken pox started to go away. It did. And I'm standing in front of the mirror, buck naked. When I was a skinny kid, I talk about hating skinny people, but I used to be one. <laughs> buck naked. And God met that faith of a child and started, from that day on, started to heal me of chicken pox. And it was a miracle. And I needed a miracle at the time to be healed of chicken pox. Does that mean that everybody gets healed of chicken pox? No. This is where we come into the other piece where if you're trying to decide about God, or you've been with God for a long time, and you start asking the question, like, how come everybody doesn't get what they want from God, and how does all that work? That's a whole other sermon that I can preach that I won't preach right now. But explained in the way that it actually went down, it would make sense to you in that God basically told his kids, don't touch the hot stove, and humanity did that, and then it affected all the rest of us, too. We understand that a little bit better. But the world is a broken place. As we move towards God, wherever you are, if you're far from God or you're joining us online or wherever you're driving to work, doing laundry, yay. Um, I want you today to just move a little bit closer to God. That's all that I want for you. I'm not asking you to do something massive. I just want you to move a little bit closer. And if you built a construct of God based on what your mom thought or your neighbor thought or your husband thinks, if you built a construct of God that doesn't portray God as he really is, maybe today is the time when that construct comes down and you're like, you know what? I'm done with this. I don't even like what was built for me in a construct of God. I don't even like the way that I see my boss at work because I don't think that it's actually the way they are. I think it's the way that I am. And as we move towards God, there are victories, but then there are disappointments and there are misconceptions. And everybody doesn't get what they want. And I remember, uh, not too many years later, my cousin, who was older than I was, was very young, and he had gotten his first job. And so they had shifts uh, available to them of, I think, 8, 10 hours and 12-hour shifts. And because he wanted to earn as much money as he could for school or something, he picked the shift that was the longest one. And so I remember my mom and dad talking about that because that was their nephew and saying, He's pretty young to be working that kind of shift, and I don't know if he's going to be able to, to hold up and to be who he needs to be there. And I remember thinking to myself, he is too young. And then I prayed a prayer. God, my cousin Chris is too young to be working a 12-hour shift, and so I, I think that he needs to get an 8-hour shift, so would you please change his shift to 8 hours? <laughs> and a funny old thing happened that two months later, I found out that he was still working the long shift. And I was like... What's up, God? <laughs> I asked for something and I didn't get it. I had faith. I got healed from chicken pox, remember? How come I didn't get this thing? Well, you're kind of smiling because, like, well, there's other things involved in this one, including Chris, who never asked for a different shift to work. <laughs> And so it's sort of funny that way that sometimes we're asking God to give somebody something that they don't even want, so maybe we should be asking for God to change what it is that they want so that God can actually get them what they don't even know that they need yet. And so there's a lot of things that kind of come into play there. But one of those is I had created a construct of God that was going to do exactly the same thing as he just did because it's what I wanted and figured needed to happen for my cousin Chris. I'm saying, God, you could have. <laughs> 
have you ever built a construct of a person that you woke up one day and found out that that wasn't who they were at all, actually? That can surprise us for good in that they're not as bad as you thought they were. That can surprise us for bad. Have you ever built a construct of your mom or mom of your child? Have you ever built a construct of your wife or your boss or your employee? You see them the way that you are, not necessarily the way that they are. And maybe that's where a lot of the strife and the quarrel and the problems come in. Now imagine building a construct of God that isn't the real God. That becomes very confusing because now you're mad at him for stuff that he didn't even agree that he was going to do. Or couldn't. He's all-powerful. He should be able to do everything and set everybody free. No, he's all-powerful, but he has character, which means that if he gives something, he doesn't take it back. Free choice? Decide. You can't stop your kid in college from doing what they want to do in college. They're going to do what they want to do, for good or for ill. They're going to have to live with the consequences of that. That's the way that it is with the human race and God. And the more we understand about the ways of God, and I'm going to be preaching about Elijah and uh, what happened with a widow woman, the ways of God are different than our ways, and we don't understand them, but people back then haven't really changed that much from people today. And we build a construct to hide from the truth sometimes, because here's a dangerous construct, a construct of me that looks better than I actually am. A construct of me that doesn't look addicted, a construct of me that doesn't look like it's got an anger problem. A construct of me that's always right. And that's a dangerous one to have. See, we build a construct so that we can hide some things that we don't think the other person needs to know and wants to know and could handle. When it's really the truth that we should hide in. Did you know that you could hide in the truth? in your marriage right now. I love our venue code. And then I'm going to drop a line for you. But the venue code says we believe in Jesus as he is, not as we would like him to be. I just went through that with the Next Steps group. I love that. Because that's like, God, you're the target. You set the bar. You decide for the human race. You decide for me and my family what it is that we should do. And I think that you know best anyways. Let me just throw that out there. But tell you what, we believe in you as you are, not as we would like you to be in different situations because circumstance can change what you want. It can. If your life and your family is built on something, a morality that you end up deciding, oh yeah, you might be a good person unless the wrong circumstance comes your way. But we build Venue Church and we try to build our lives around a morality that doesn't change to suit anybody except for God. Because if God created you, maybe God's the only one who knows how to get you healthy and get you exactly what it is that you need when you need it. Because there will come a time in your life when you need a miracle and you can't get a miracle from a construct of God. Because he doesn't exist. You ready for this line? I was particularly impressed when I felt the Holy Spirit give this to me for you. Because it takes a lot of talent to type something that you hear <laughs> from the Holy Spirit. It just hit me in a funny way. We build constructs of God and people. You ready? Yeah. Who are surprisingly okay with us making decisions for them. <laughs> you know if the Holy Spirit's got to speak to me something, it's going to be a little bit weird. Yeah. I can build a construct of you who's surprisingly okay with me making up your mind for you that no, you didn't need to know about that thing that I did over there. 
I've had a lot of years to practice on my mom. Dad was a tougher sell. I built a construct of God who's surprisingly cool with me making up his mind for him. Here's the deal with, with that. You make up your children's mind for you because you own them and they live in your house for a little while. So you can make decisions for them. No, it's not cool to throw all the food at the window. I'm going to help you make up your mind about that. You don't make up your mind for the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of the universe. The prince of heaven is not your homeboy. He's the prince of heaven. And he's to be worshipped and honored and obeyed, but that doesn't make him roughly on the same level as me. He is who he is, and it's better that way, believe me. Because if God, if my God, the God, the construct of God that I make is your God, you're going to be messed up. Because 95% of it can be real, but the 5% of it seems to kind of mess with the other 95% of it. And pretty soon I'm living this weird Christianity or this weird relationship that's not working out. And I feel like I'm not getting what I want from God and what he promised because he never actually promised that thing to me the way that I thought that I heard that. And if we can take this away, maybe we could just be real. The real me and the real you and the real God, that's it. No constructs. But we have to go and find out what God had to say about that and how he interacted with Elijah the prophet today. There's going to be three parts to this sermon, I think. Elijah and the widow, or the sermon, today's sermon is called drought. Did you know that drought or a period of famine in your life or a time when you're going without something can be a gift because... What it does is it can stop your mouth from talking or from just eating too much because there's these times in our lives when we have everything that we want and then we forget about God. And he predicted that and we still do it. Like, hey, we're good, man. Paychecks are coming in. I just got this. I just got that. I don't need church. I don't need God. I'm cool with that until the famine comes. All of a sudden when the famine comes, we, we don't tend to talk as much and we tend to listen a little bit more. And a time of famine and a hard time can actually be a gift from heaven. In any case, it's probably going to happen whether you like it or not, and you might as well just roll with it. Part two is going to be called Wrong God, about the battle between Elijah and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophets all serving the wrong God and leading Israel astray into all sorts of nasty stuff, and this battle between Elijah the prophet, who was a hard man. Elijah's name itself meant Yahweh is my God in a time of just debauchery and sin where the prophets of God were being hunted down. Elijah's name itself is an affront to them. Yahweh is my God. You want me? Here I am. And he goes against hundreds of false prophets and he wins. All of whom were serving the title of the sermon, the wrong God. Well, everybody can't be wrong, can they? Can't they? Well, human history has taught us nothing. Third part is the running man. What do you do in the time after you did what God wanted you to do and you didn't get what you thought he promised? And you go into a time of discouragement and depression. How do you peel away all the trappings of, of God and how you think about God and just hear that still, small voice? You ready? It's going to be a great series. Today we're going to talk about Elijah's construct of God and the widow's construct of God. You see, a construct won't allow us to get heaven supplied the way the real God wants to. 
the real God's going to bring it in a way that you don't understand. 1 Kings chapter 17. Can you turn there with me or follow me on the screen? You too can have a real water bottle if you give us your email address so that we can spam you every day until you die and sell you bottles of holy oil. Actually, we just like to stay in touch. We just send one email saying, hey, thanks for coming to Venue Church. <laughs> it's not that bad, really. <laughs> you can't join the email list where we spam you every day and sell you bottles of holy oil, which we do not. It's about once a month. <laughs> just to clear all this up, I'm not sure why I got into all this, but just it. And then it happened, let, let me distract you with the scriptures, which is why you came in the first place. And, this hap and then this happened, Elijah the Tishbite from among the settlers of Gilead confronted Ahab. Now who's Ahab? Okay, Ahab uh, is married to a very famous lady, but not famous for the good thing, uh, a lady named Jezebel. Have you heard about Jezebel? Okay. Um, Ahab is a king like after the time of David, and Ahab is a wicked, wicked, wicked king, generations later. And the, the kingdom has been divided. He's in charge of Israel now. <coughs> but Jezebel uh, seduced the, the, the country with the help of Ahab, who was the influencer, and they went after other gods. And, and Israel's cycle and our cycle is like this, that, that, that what happens is we go after other gods and other means of supplying the only the only needs that we can have from God Almighty, the real God, and we go after other gods that suit us a little bit better sometimes. And so Ahab had seduced all of Israel to go after it and brought in all sorts of wickedness and, and hurt to the people of Israel until Elijah stands up and confronts him. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel, before whom I stand in obedient service, as surely as God lives, Ahab would say, God isn't alive. Ahab would would say what you hear all the time, God? You believe in God? Isn't that just a crutch for weak people? As God is alive, God is like the real, there's a real God and he's alive? Well, how come he doesn't affect my life all that much? How come, how, nah, God's not real. Elijah says, as surely as God lives, but here's a man who knows his God. Have you ever met somebody who knows God? Like knows that he knows, knows that she knows, knows. Don't you ever wish that you could know God like that? You can. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel, before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought. Listen, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. This drought goes on for three and a half years in a very hot climate. It's interesting that spiritual drought often precedes economic and don't ever think that the spiritual is not tied to the physical because the physical all came from the spiritual in the first place and all eventually goes back there. And even in Canada, I would have to question, even in Alberta, our economy has been rough, hasn't it? And I would wonder if a spiritual drought didn't precede that because when the money's rolling in, do you need God? A lot of us would say that we don't. They had mixed religion for a while, but now the whole nation had gone after Baal. So it used to be like this, which is very common in Canada. Okay, you can serve Yahweh, who's the God of Israel. You can serve Yahweh, the Father of Jesus. You can serve Yahweh, but you know, if you want your crops to grow, this is how we do things around here, and we sacrifice to Baal, the God of the crops. If you want to have fun, here's some gods that are all about sex. 
And so what they're saying is, yeah, yeah, believe in God, that's fine, but just mix it up with this other thing. But now we're not even mixing up with the other thing. We're just going after these other gods because that's what we want to do. And that's what happened in Israel. God then told Elijah, after he had confronted Ahab, now we go into this funny little account, get out of here and fast. Head east and hide out at the Kirith Ravine on the other side of the Jordan River. You can drink fresh water from the brook. I've ordered the ravens to feed you. If you grew up in Sunday school, that makes some sort of sense. But if you didn't, you're like, what? Aren't ravens like kind of like crows but bigger? Like they eat dead things? <laughs> it's, a funny, it's a funny thing here because first of all, he goes to this place called Kirath something. And the word Kirath means cutting away. And this is when you do what God wants you to do sometimes, and then God pulls you away into this dry place and says, I need to provide for you in a different way because you did great, you know, you did great in confronting that thing, but uh, I need to pull you away and cut some stuff out of your life right now. Have you ever been there? I need to pull you away and cut some stuff out of your life that's going to hurt you in the future, and that's hurting you right now. And he pulls him away, and then he says, I'm going to feed you with ravens. Well, to an Israeli man, like a raven is an unclean animal. They weren't allowed to touch them or eat them because they were... They ate carrion, like they were, they were carrion birds that ate dead things, right? I see dead people. I eat dead people. Oh, too, too far. That was really super weird. I should stick closer to my notes here. But, <laughs> but it's funny here that God would say to an Israeli prophet, I'm going to feed you by these ravens. And so here these ravens are coming with like Big Macs and perfectly packed up cheesecake and... Here's a funny old thing, but we're not even allowed to touch them. And this is when God provides for you in a way that you didn't see coming and wouldn't agree with anyways. But he can do that. The real God, that's what he does. He's like, um, yeah, I made rules, but the rules are not actually more important than me. And taken in context, my rules never disagree with my other rules. And they make sense, and they're to keep us together. So relax a little bit. I don't want it to keep you away from fun. The bars are to keep the nasty stuff out. Stay in the fence. You'll be happier. Trust me. And so God calls these ravens to come and bring meat and bread to Elijah. And it's funny that the way that it would come, can you imagine a raven going in and ripping at a loaf of bread and tearing meat and bringing it to Elijah? It's super gross. I wouldn't want to. I don't like my hands getting dirty. I want to eat stuff that this nasty old thing. I don't know where he's been. Well, I know where he's been, and it scares me. And I'm thinking, isn't that the way it is in my life? In the hardest times in my life sometimes, God has, through an unclean vessel even, or in a way that didn't make sense to me and that I didn't agree with, God has somehow been able to provide my need, but I just wish that he would have given me a heads up about it that I liked <laughs> and given me an option like A, be fed by ravens, B, um, start a McDonald's, like just something. No, you're not into McDonald's. I don't know, what, what are you into? Starbucks? Are you healthy? Not that McDonald's isn't healthy. McDonald's, please don't sue me. I really have nothing. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon says, beggars are not to be choosers. We say, and certainly pensioners on God's bounty ought not to pick holes and find fault with the Lord's providing. Whatever God gives you, he says, be grateful for, for if too proud to take from the raven's mouth, it will be well for you to go without until your hunger consumes your pride. How hungry are you for God? You have exactly as much of God as you want because the barrier is not on his side. 
Can I hear an amen? The barrier is not on his side. He's not up in heaven, like, deciding who to love and who not to love. He's like, here's all of it. You want to be a child of mine? Here it is, all of it. There's some things you've got to do to get what it is that you need, but that's how family works, right? You've got to start taking out the trash when you get older. It's normal. Until your hunger consumes your pride, he goes on to say, God promised, he promises his people enough, but not more than enough. And even that enough may not come to us in the way we would choose. Tuck that one away because if you're not in a famine, you just came from one or you're just going to one and you'll need that peace. Keep your eyes and ears open for God to use whomever it is that God wants to use. Don't tell him how it's going to come to you. You'll see what happens to the widow in a moment. Elijah obeyed God's order obeyed God's orders, he went and camped in the Kirith Canyon on the other side of the Jordan, and sure enough, ravens brought him his meals, both breakfast and supper, and he drank from the brook. Eventually, the brook dried up because of the drought. Well, that stinks. <laughs> oh, God, I want to know more of you. Take away my flesh. And then he does, and that hurts. <laughs> Who knew, right? Oh, yeah, you're super proud, and you, you, you don't like it when stuff happens that you can't control. Okay, let me put you into a situation for six months that you can't control. Oh, God, save me. Well, you asked for it. Isn't that what you wanted? You, you told Ahab that there was no, not supposed to be any rain because the country's not glorifying God, but you've got to live in the middle of that too. And now there's no rain, and you're mad? Then God spoke to him. Get up and go to Zarephath and Sidon and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. Ho hopefully a rich widow. <laughs> so he got up and went to Zarephath, and he came to the entrance of the village. As he came there, he met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. Okay, not rich. <laughs> definitely, definitely not rich. He asked her, Please, would you bring me a little water in a jug? I need a drink. And as she went to get it, he called out, And while you're at it, would you bring me something to eat? She said, I swear, as surely as your God lives, I don't have so much as a biscuit. And then I'm just going to insert a little something in here. You crazy Israelite prophet. I don't believe in your God, man. You're not in Israel no more. And I don't have any food to give you. And what the heck you want to take? I don't have any biscuits. I don't have nothing. And you want this? I don't know you, man. I don't serve your God. I don't go to your church. I don't. I'm not even in your country. You're in my country. And I'm supposed to give you my biscuits. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching, and then we find out why she's feeling this way. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me. After we eat it, we'll die. Oh. It's interesting to me that God hadn't told the widow woman about this plan to feed Elijah. She only... Here's it from Elijah. That's weird. Why didn't God talk to her? You want me to give an offering of what I can't afford? 
Can you feel the outrage that you're feeling right now for her sake? You mean prophet of God. You mean to say that God wants me to give you what I don't even have because we're going to go and eat this meal, my son and I, and we're going to die. This is it for us. This is our last day. And we'll last as long as we can last until we waste away into nothing. And you want that? You want the food that is our last meal. That's what you want from me. It's a problem if your construct of God wants something from you. Like he needs the biscuit from you. The thing is, he doesn't need your biscuit, but you're going to need something in a minute. And until you give the biscuit, you're not going to get the miracle that you need. And if you can't part with the biscuit and put the biscuit in the ground and plant the biscuit, you're not going to get more biscuits. Does that make sense? But this is an emotional piece. So it's like it's as emotional as when the offering plates go. It's as emotional as when somebody asks you for some of your time in a messed up marriage, and then you're like, yeah, but I got all my plans. And yeah, well, think about what she's being asked for. It's more than anybody's ever asked from you. God would never ask of me what I can't afford, would he? Maybe we have a different Bible, but sometimes he does. And Elijah goes all Bob Marley and says, don't worry about a thing. Every little thing. Come on, dance with me, widow woman. You're going to be all right. That's what he said. Don't worry. You need to relax, sweetheart. You're all like wound up with this dying thing. <laughs> Just relax. Don't worry about a thing. It's when somebody walks into the middle of your crisis and says, what are you all worked up about? My dad this to me one time. He's like, huh, that's about right. That's it. And walked out of the room. That's the last conversation we've ever had about the biggest deal in my life up till that point. And I'm like, oh, that happens sometimes and people are kind of crazy. Oh, all right. Settled me down. When somebody knows God and has experienced God's miracle power in the middle of drought and in the middle of all sorts of things, sometimes you need to go to that person to get a little bit of faith so they can tell you to settle down. God's got it. All we need to do is get on board with what he wants to do and he will supply your need. He will bring it in to you, but you need a miracle and you got to give up the biscuit. Listen, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you've said, but first make a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. Okay, you go and die after this, but bring me the biscuit first. That's what he's saying. You're going to read your Bible more, aren't you? Like I totally got you into reading the Bible. Then... Go ahead and make a meal. This is the word of the God of Israel, who she doesn't believe in. The jar of flour will not run out and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. That'd be great if she believed in the God that he just said, said that. But she didn't. And I love how God can get into your neighbor and to your brother who is far from God don't even know their, the depth of their need yet. And I love that, how he can get into that and get a word into them that brings hope to them when they don't even believe in the God who brought the word. But they need something and they see this thing happening in your life and this provision happening in your life. And it says in verse 15, she went right off on Facebook. <laughs> Maybe there'd be more miracles if there was no place for the junior high child and all of us to be unleashed on the world. I'm here outraged at the lineup at McDonald's. I'll say McDonald's there again because I'm getting sued anyways. <laughs> so 
<laughs> no, it says she went right off and did it, just as Elijah asked. It's interesting, not as God asked her, because God hasn't really told her this yet, only Elijah. And how can God speak to somebody who he has no relationship with? It's not like it doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen that often. And sometimes you're the only voice piece into their life. You're it. You're all they've got. That's why we're crazy about you sharing about Venue Church online, on social media, because nobody can get to your friends but you. You're all they've got. So take out your dang phones and take a picture and put it online. Be like, you got to meet this guy. You don't believe in God? Cool. Just meet this guy. He kind of does. But. And it turned out just, and it turned out as he said, daily food for her and her family, daily, just day by day by day. The jar of meal didn't run out and the bottle of oil didn't become empty. God's promise fulfilled to the letter exactly as Elijah had delivered it. Now, it's very important as you deliver God's word to somebody that you get it right because you're responsible to get it right. It's not just the words that dad says to one of his daughters to tell another one of his daughters. You got to get the whole thing right. You can't go in there and spice it up with a bit of anger <laughs> and leave a few of the words out. You have to deliver it that way, and I love that. And this brings me to my first point of two and it's this, God speaks however he wants to. The real God does. Now, he'll never speak contrary to his own word because he has character, and he will never cross what he's already said. Sometimes we need help in deciphering that because we thought that he said it like this, but it wasn't really like that, or it made sense in culture at the time, but nowadays it, it has nothing to do with culture, so, so sometimes we get confused about that, and then we make the women wear little doilies on their head, but it made sense in the culture back then, but it doesn't make sense in the culture now, so relax a little bit, and... If that's you, you've noticed that not a lot of women are here wearing hats. Sinners, my daughter. Woo! Going to heaven. No, but see, what, what happens is, what happens is God will never contradict God. He can't. So if we're confused, it's us that's confused with it. God speaks however he wants to, through him however, through him whoever he wants to, in whatever tone he wants to. He already knows what you think, sweetheart, and disagrees with most of it. So relax. He loves you anyway. Often we're begging for bread in a drought. And he's already told us how to get it. We just don't want to do what he said. And he can't get it to us because we cut off the supply train because he said, I need you to give. And we said, no. And he said, I can't. If you don't take out the garbage, you don't get the allowance. I can't help you with it. You don't show up for work, you get no paycheck. Okay. Well, he says, give me a tenth, and I'll make sure that the 90 goes way further than the other stuff anyways, and I'll bless you and open the windows of heaven. And we're like, God wants my money. God wants your money. No, he just wants more of you just wants more of you. He just wants everything, all of your time, because this widow needed a miracle now, but she needed a greater mi miracle that was coming up that she didn't even know that she needed. Number two, God asks for your seed for you, not because he needs it. I just preached that. Later on, the woman's son became sick. You ready? For the pin to drop. The sickness took a turn for the worse, and then he stopped breathing. See, because God knows that. The sound of a marriage that stops breathing. 
and a relationship between a father and his son that stops breathing. He's trying to help us get to a place where he can give us the supply so that we can avoid most of it, but in the time of, of miracle, because we live in a broken and fallen world, he's trying to get from his economy into your economy, but he needs something from you to get you in a place where you can get it. You're going to the bank of the world, and he's like, I've got a bank right here. And it's all connected together. Take your neighbor out for coffee, and I'll heal your marriage. What? That's not even connected. Oh, it's all connected. Obedience is all connected. Miracles are all connected. They're just not connected the way that you think because they look like ravens and not like eagles. And he stopped breathing. The woman said to Elijah, why did you ever show up here in the first place? A holy man barging in, exposing my sins and killing my son. Now, there are some of us that are so weighed down with the guilt of the things that we've done that when bad things happen, we're just like, I knew it. God could never. God can never love someone like me. Maybe you, maybe you, but not me. And sometimes your touches with somebody who appears to be holy to you makes your sin all the more evident. And, and she says, you come in here and you barge in here and you give me what is due for my sins and you expose my sins. I already knew that I was a sinner. How do you think widows supported themselves back then? No social programs, nothing. If you didn't have family, you had nothing. A lot of widows were selling their bodies. That's all they had to give. That's all they had. It didn't make it right. That's all they had. And have you ever had to decide between your son eating bread and something like that? She had nothing, and at least if they died before, they would die together, and that would end the struggle. And I don't know if she'd ever sold herself like that, but a lot of them did. And at least it would be over one way or the other. And, and here we have this woman. Now she's been supplied and she, she sees this holy man and she sees that there's this God who can do this thing. And then the worst possible thing imagine, imaginable happens to her in that her son dies and stops breathing and dies. And now she's looking down the barrel of an entire future of her past sins. And she can't get out of this one. And it's going to go on for a long time because her son could rise up and provide for her in the future. And she's got no means of bread herself now. And she's in a hard place. Don't you kind of expect your sins to catch up with you? See, the presence of holiness, the holy God... See, but when sins are confessed, they can be forgiven, but if they're not confessed, they're still there and they'll still destroy everything you have and take everything that you love away from you one piece at a time. Did God come to, did the man of God come, did God come to expose her sins? No, he came to cover her sins, but you gotta give them up first. You gotta give them up and separate yourself and say, I did these things and it was wrong and it was all me. I didn't even need any help. It was all me. God, can you forgive my sins? And then he can cover sins with his holiness. Isn't that beautiful? She's got a construct of God 
that isn't the real God. She knows that judgment is coming for sins, but she doesn't understand that the holiness of God could heal her from all of that in a moment. In one moment, all the sins of her past can be gone forever, and he won't even remember. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. He's like, so what is it that you're talking about and so worried about? I can't even, what are we talking about? All the things that I did, God, like, uh, no, seriously, like, what are we talking about? Did you already ask for forgiveness? Okay, go and sin no more. We good? No, but God, you need to really hurt me for this. Uh, You want me to hurt you? Yeah, but if that's our construct of God, then eventually everybody gets what's coming to them, and so do you. I don't want what's coming to me. I want mercy. And there's provision for mercy. Elijah says, hand me your son. And every woman in the world said, no. You kidding me? No. The worst happened? No. You're not getting him now. And I realized reading this account that, that the only way she could do this if, is if she handed over a biscuit sometime before. Because if she hadn't handed that biscuit over, God would have supplied through the prophet through another widow. And she would have had nothing. And in the moment that she needed and you needed and I need a miracle from God, a true miracle from God, if I can't hand over the biscuit now, I'm not going to give up my son. So quit selling it to yourself because you won't give your kids to God if you can't give up a biscuit. And the biscuit was only in place so that God could have a, a little bit of her so that he could get to her now what she really needs. That's the miracle power of God. 10% is nothing. Here, man. You want the windows of heaven? Let's give you the windows of heaven. He then took him from her bosom, come on, carried him up to the loft where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he prayed, oh God, my God. Now here's Elijah with a weird little construct too. Why have you brought this terrible thing on this widow who has opened her home to me? Why have you killed her son? You felt that. Why did you do this, God? And God's like, the devil came to steal and kill and destroy and I came that you should have life and that more abundantly. Does that mean there's no pain? Not if you're a follower of Jesus. There was pain for Jesus. You get life in the end, but I did this? No, sin did this. Well, her sin and everybody's sin, we're all in it together. We all did it together. Come on, worship team. Come up and help me. Is this good? Do you want to know his prayer technique? Are you ready for praying for this dead son of the widow? Three times he stretched him out, himself out full length on the boy, praying with all his might. God, my God, put breath back into this boy's body. Y'all thought that was normal? He got up onto the top ropes of the wrestling ring and suplexed. Is that a suplex? He basically jumps on this kid and starts praying for this kid. 
I think he learned something from the story of the raven in that for a miracle, you just got to do what God says, no matter how weird it looks to anybody else, because if he raised his hands and if he shouted and if he did anything else, maybe he could take credit for it. But if you do this thing, man, there's only God of Israel who can do something that weird and still do what comes next. Are you ready? God listened to Elijah's prayer and put breath back into his body. He was alive. Elijah picked the boy up, carried him downstairs from the loft, and gave him to his mother. Here's your son, said Elijah, alive. The woman said to Elijah, I see it all now. You are a holy man. I just didn't understand what it was about and what it was for. When you speak, God speaks a true word. See, this is the first resurrection from the dead recorded in the Old Testament, but not the last. And perhaps you've heard of this little resurrection that changed time forever called Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Prince of Heaven. And I want to ask you, today, does your construct allow you to make decisions for God and decisions for people, or are you going to quit making decisions for the line of the tribe of Judah and let him make some decisions in your life? And I feel like it just starts with this little thing over here in your hand right now that isn't much, but it's a biscuit. For some of us, it's a strength, something that we're really good at, and God's like, that's great. Can you give that to me? For some of us, it's a guilty feeling we've had for a long time about something, but we kind of like feeling guilty about it, so we take it out every now and again and beat ourselves with us, and God is like, um, can you give me the biscuit? You've been carrying that stone around long enough? You want to be free? I don't even know what it is that you're holding anymore because you already asked for forgiveness, so let it go. Let it go. For, I know, for others of us, it's a piece of our will that we just haven't decided that God wants because the God we created doesn't want anything from us that we don't want to give. Would you hold on to that and miss your miracle over here? Would you hold on to that at the expense of all of God's provision that he has for you in the future? a hot potato now. I don't want this thing now. This is what's keeping me from getting this? Heck no. Here, take the biscuit. What else do you need? My kid's bicycle? Take it. There's more bikes where that came from. Listen. Listen to me. God has a miracle for you. And one day, something in your life that you care about more than anything else is going to stop breathing. And if you haven't given him the biscuit, he's got nothing inside of you to get you that life back into that marriage, that life back into that relationship with your son or your daughter, that job. He can't give you that job because you won't give him the biscuit. And you're going to sit there and try to control your life. And God is like, come on, give it all to me. Listen, listen, listen. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God can work all things together for the good of those who love him. All things. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. I can work all of these things he's saying together for your good because I've called you according to my purpose. Come on. Love so deep. It's washing over me. Your face is all that I see, God. Let me get rid of these constructs of God and these constructs of people, but I need the revelation from heaven to do it. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.